Hello and welcome to the Brentas Foundation podcast, where we throw light on some of the African continent's biggest and most pressing issues and leverage best practice, not just on what to do, but how to do it. I'm your host, Marino Ngoklo, and it's a pleasure to share in this moment with you. So in today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Joseph Asunka, who you probably hear me call Joe. He's a CEO of Afrobarometer, which, if you don't know, is a pan-African nonpartisan survey research network that provides reliable data on African experiences and evaluations of democracy, uh, quality of life, governance, etc. Playing around with their online tool um, is actually one of my favorite pastimes. So if you haven't, you definitely need to check it out. But Joe, welcome to the Brentus Foundation podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Marie. It's really a good pleasure to to be here. Thanks for having me. It always brings me joy when it's a a fellow countryman. All right, so let's start here. With the recent sort of round of surveys for you, what would you say is the one or maybe two things that surprised you the most um, from the results you got? All right, thanks for that. Um, So I would characterize it both as a surprise, but also pleasantly so. Um, And I say pleasantly so because uh, the topics that we cover, often we get negative ratings from citizens. But in the most recent survey, which is still ongoing, we hope to be able to cover 40 countries this time around. But currently we have data for 20 countries. And two of the surprising results, and I should say not too surprising to me, is on climate change. We have been asking this question about climate change and people's knowledge of it. The critical thing and the most interesting result is that most citizens think that climate change or the fight against climate change is a shared responsibility between citizens, governments, and the private sector. And so we have looked across the continent, across these 20 countries. Citizens don't see it exclusively as a government matter or exclusively as the private sector matter. They see it as a shared responsibility. And we think that's that's a good sign. It's good news. Yeah. The second surprising, of course, this result we've been seeing over and over again. Africans want accountable governance. They want their governments yeah. to be accountable to citizens. And this number has been growing over time. So we realized when we started these surveys, Africans wanted to get have democracy. They wanted to be able to elect their representatives. But increasingly, they see the value of saying, okay, it's now time for us to go beyond elections and demand accountability. Mm-hmm. And so the proportion of people who want accountable governance has also gone up. That's definitely good to hear. I'm curious, though, in terms of the the outcomes on climate change, why was that surprising to you, or I guess interesting to you? And I mean, it's more interesting because often when you hear about the debates about climate change, everybody yeah. talks about the fact that this is uh, the advanced countries, the responsibility of advanced countries who have created that's true, you know, the climate change and mm. the responsibility for fighting climate change should lie with them. And I think it is only in Tunisia we have we see that sentiment where most citizens think that the responsibility for fighting climate change lies with the developed world. But most of the other countries citizens see it as a shared responsibility. And I think it's 
it's a good sign and it's, it's surprising mm-hmm. in the sense that the debate that this is a must be the responsibility of developed countries is not necessarily shared across the continent. It's it's something that citizens see as their own responsibility, but also combined with the, their government and the private sector working together to reverse climate change. Oh, thank you for that. Um, and I think that the second most interesting thing to you is actually one of the things I was hoping we can talk about later on. But I think since we're on the topic, we can do that. So from your findings, Joe, can we can we say perhaps that like, you know, for a lot of citizens, right, their aspirations or they don't feel um, that governments or African governments are sort of meeting these aspirations that they have. Um, on, you know, democratic societies or, you know, accountable societies. Is that what the finding is telling us? Exactly. And you're right about that. Most citizens want democracy. They want accountable governance. They want to be able to elect their leaders through free, honest and open elections. And these are democratic aspirations that most citizens have. Often when you talk about you know, democracy on the continent, people, I mean, Pundits will often think that Africans may not care about democracy, but we've seen a deepening of that on the continent in terms of people's aspirations, what they hope for, what they are looking for in a society. And they want to still live under governments that are democratic, accountable, and responsive to them. The unfortunate thing is that governments are not meeting these expectations. And so you see there's a big gap between what people aspire for in a democratic society and what governments are delivering at the moment and capable of delivering. And I think that people are getting more and more frustrated by the fact that their governments are not really living up to the expectations that they hope they would should have under a democratic government. No, I think that's really interesting. I think it's actually a really nice segue into sort of this idea of um, African sort of attitudes um, towards military rule. Um, I think when I was looking at it, it's about a little about 74% thereabouts who disprove um, or strongly disprove military rule. Can you talk to me about um, that finding, the trend over the past couple of years and basically what it's telling us when we think about governance on the continent? That's a great question. I think military rule has become more prominent, largely because in the last couple of years, military takeovers have happened in Africa at an unprecedented rate. Um, we used to observe these kinds of military uh, takeovers and military coups in the 60s and some parts of the 1980s. It's now kind of bounced back because in the two decades, three decades following the 1980s, we saw a decline in military coups, and then it has just risen so rapidly in the last two years. And people are beginning to raise the concerns. Are these military coups coming back? And then added to that, when you see citizens come into the space, I mean, come pour onto the streets to celebrate military takeovers, mm-hmm. then it sends a signal that, okay, probably suggest that Africans are more and more comfortable with military rule and they want military rule. But the data doesn't say that. And I would start from just the point where I talked about accountable governance because citizens are looking more and more for accountability. And when they see their elect when they see their elected leaders abuse power, that's when people begin to pull back. It's like, okay, if you are in power with elected you, you are not accountable and you're abusing your power. 
then we would welcome a military intervention. And so there is a, a big difference between a military intervention and military rule. Africans still reject military rule. They don't want the military to be in power. And this, as you mentioned, you know, it used to be around 75% that reject military rule across the continent. Yep. And so it still means that most Africans do not want military rule. But when their elected leaders, democratically elected leaders, abuse power, then they begin to think that the military should step in and stop the abuse of power. No, I think that's actually a very keen distinction to make because it's very easy for somebody to just pick it and run with it when it means completely different things, right? For them to intervene is different um, from them to sort of um, like a military regime in power. Um, they, you know, the one can lead to the other, but they are also distinctly different. Exactly. And I think that, that's where we've seen you know, in the last round of the surveys that we conducted between 2019 and 2021, we had 75% saying they don't want military rule. They only change over time in the last, uh, in the current round of the surveys where we have data for 20 countries. We've seen that number drop quite a bit to 67%. It's still a large majority that say they reject military rule, but yeah. that drop that drop in the rejection of military rule, that is people's opposition to military rule, has kind of gone down a little bit. And that is all driven by the fact that, you know, these, um, most of the citizens, most of our respondents feel like the abuse of power cannot be countenanced. And so if governments or elected governments abuse power, we think this is probably driven by that. that they are becoming a little more comfortable with military intervention, but certainly not military rule. Yeah, no, thank you for expanding on that. All right, now to Mali, um, which I think offered some rather interesting um, insights, right? The kind of insights that should make everyone listening pay attention. Um, so yes, if you are listening and you zoned off, come right back in here. Um, let me sort of try, I guess, offer some background to sort of frame this conversation. So um, about an estimated, what, 90, 91% um, had I guess, favorable or approval for um, Colonel Asimi Goita, um, who is the military leader who orchestrated his second coup in nine months in August 2020, was, I believe, and was sworn in as the interim or transitional president of Mali. Um, can you speak to me about sort of this, this finding per se and what it means? Is this also relating back to this idea of military intervention, but not necessarily military rule? What sense are we making of this? Because 91% approval, that's, that's significant. That is significant. And that is probably one of the most surprising results, I think, what, what we would have for, for this round of the service. And mm -hmm. um, I, I would think of it in, in two ways. First of all, of course, when the coup, military coup happens and the citizens poured onto the streets, at the time, yeah. Afrobarometer survey results did indicate. You now, there was distrust in the president. They, mm -hmm. Most people in Mali felt that the country was going in the wrong direction. All the indicators that would point to the fact that people are completely frustrated with the system were at play in Mali at the time the coup happened. And so when there were mass protests in the streets against the, the then uh, certain president, I think it was it reached a boiling point where citizens felt they needed that there had to be some shock to the system for it to change. And that shock came from the military. 
And it was not surprising that people were on the streets and celebrating the military takeover. And I think, you know, both the, the frustration about the, the economy and economic conditions and frustrations about you know, corruption in the, in the president and the government, but also if you think about the insecurity in the region, more and more, usually when we ask citizens about what is the most important problem that you think your government should solve, it had always been unemployment. And across the continent, on average, unemployment comes up on top as the most important problem that people want their governments to solve. This time around, we started asking in Mali and Burkina Faso and the Sahelian regions, security went, came on top. And so a combination of the then you know, elected government not really delivering on the economic fronts, then also people getting frustrated that there's a lot of corruption in the system and the issue of insecurity where violent extremist groups were you know, wreaking havoc in their countries and they're feeling more and more insecure. And so this combination of factors, and of course, at the same time, the military was the most trusted institution in the country at the time that the coup happened. And so when this happened and the president, you know, the military um, leaders took over, I think it sort of gave people a confidence and there's some kind of euphoria around the fact that, okay, these guys have stopped our country from spiraling out of control. And I feel like this number that we're getting in terms of the high approval rating is more about giving the presidency or the military some benefit of the doubt. First of all, they have stopped the country from spiraling out of control. And now I'm sure Malians are watching to see what the military will do going forward, especially when it comes to now restoring security and fighting violence extremist groups in their country. No, I think that's very important because what I'm hearing, or I guess, the, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that even looking at this data, right, context matters. <laughs> um, where this is happening and what's happening um, in that environment plays um, a big role um, in terms of understanding how to interpret data, uh, this data. Would you say that's about correct? That's exactly. I mean, because when yeah. you say people approve of the, the president, it's you you would have to look further. So what are what are the contextual factors driving this? And I can yeah. imagine that we are still exploring the data and trying to find out you know what what exactly is driving this. But as I said, it could come down to people feeling more secure because they have been able to you know address the, the security concerns that they have raised you know, in the last survey where they said security, crime and security was the most important problem they think their government should solve. And so when you have a regime in power that is able to tackle the most important problem that you think the government should solve. It sort of gives you some um, comfort in terms of yeah. the government is actually delivering on that. So you would realize that it was not an economic issue at the time. At the time that this coup happened, it wasn't necessarily the, the economic issues. It was the security concerns that was on top of people's minds. And it does seem like the military may be addressing that quite well, and that's why we may be seeing these figures go up. But as I said, this, we are still looking into this data to try to understand both the context and also <laughs> what these results mean related to what we found previously and the current situation, yeah. whether there's some improvement in some of those indicators.
Yeah, no, definitely. That's a good point. And I mean, it would also be interesting to see how um, this changes or not, because, you know, whether it's an interim thing or not, I imagine it has repercussions on governance um, going forward in Mali. So one other thing I wanted to touch on was, I think, I mean, it's not necessarily a preference for military intervention per se, but even ac across the continent, right? We, we are seeing, for instance, if you look at Zambia with uh, President Hichilema coming to power, this is somebody that is considered to be sort of an outsider, right? He's not for the normal sort of politician. And we've just seen very recently in Lesotho as well with President Sam Matikani being voted in. Are you seeing anything interesting from the data in terms of the preference for what seems to be like, you know, outsiders? Does this relate to sort of this disillusionment with um, how governments have been run so far? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. I think it's uh, partly now largely about the disillusionment of the, the ability of yeah. government, especially when it comes to dominant political parties in the system. People are getting frustrated because they, you keep changing the same political parties and they don't seem to be performing. Of course, you can say the same thing with Kenya, that you know, the Kenyan president also came out of that, you know, feeling like mm -hmm. I'm an outsider, even though he was an outsider and an insider. And like, yeah. by and large, I think it is the young, it is young people on the continent who are beginning to change this, to drive this change. And that is a kind of good sign in the sense that young people are getting more and more keen about taking control and making sure that they can influence what happens in their countries. And so if you take, you know, the president of Zambia, I think his rise to power was also driven lightly by the youth activism and the engagement of youth in young people and in the elections. The same thing, of course, you can see that the momentum of young people in Nigeria at the moment as we get into the elections in 2023, you know, when you talk about Obi and the way he's able to drive young people, even though yeah. he's just you know, concentrated in the urban area, there is a lot of momentum and mobilization of young people around him because he's an outsider in that sense. And so I think for the established political parties, what might happen is as young, more and young people get mobilized around unconventional candidates or unconventional political parties, I do think that that is going to be what would shape the Africa's democracy going forward, that young people would be the drivers around how they want their governments to change. And I should mention here that when we talk about you know, people's um, you know, the reduced resistance to military rule, it's actually much higher among young people. So people between 18 and 25, are more comfortable with a military intervention if the elected government abuse power. So compared to the older generation, the younger people are more interested in stopping elected leaders who abuse their power. And if that means military intervention, they are more attuned to that and they're open to that. And so I think in both driving forward democracy, but also um, now the, the disappointments and frustrations with the system, is the youth that get more frustrated with the system. And I think that is activating them to do more and more in mobilizing to change the course of their country. That's actually very fascinating a point. And I wonder, Joe, what you think. So obviously is this agitation because they want more. Um, we, I mean, we want more, we deserve more. If the old system is not working, we basically trying to shake them to do the right things. But I also wonder, do you think there is 
an element, a teeny, teeny little element perhaps of um, this idea of, um, for instance, a lot of, I guess maybe a lot of the people under 30 on the continent may not necessarily have living memory of what life under military rule was for a lot of African countries when they came out of independence, because that tended to be sort of the trajectory that we independent and then most countries or quite a number of countries, actually, I should say, not most, went through some form of military government. Do you think that plays any role here? And that's why maybe the um, older generation are not particularly keen, but the younger are more sort of open to them intervention by the military? And that is probably a, a, one of the factors, um, because mm. for the older generation that have lived under military rule, they know the, the consequences and the experiences are not as pleasant yeah. as somebody would expect. Younger people, of course, have not had that experience in many countries, but I do think that they, that may be explaining that gap. Uh, but the, 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 the second thing is that, in general, this is more about the, the military intervention than it is about yeah. military rule. And so, but yeah. we still consider, but you see the gap in both cases, whether it is now being open to military rule or being open to military intervention. Younger mm -hmm. people have a bigger, a small, again, an appetite for it more than the, the older generation, and that may be as a result of the lived experiences of the, the different generations. But mm -hmm. overall, yeah. I do think that it also signals to us that more the younger people are more zealous about democracy. Yeah. Because they feel like if a democratically elected government is not doing what is expected, then they don't deserve to be there. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. All right. So, Joe, before you go, one question for you. If you had the audience of African leaders, which I'm sure you've had a different point in time, but let's just imagine we're seated in front of uh, the whole lot of them. From the survey findings from your last sort of, um, or I guess the results from your last surveys, what would be the top message, right, with the two to three most important things when we consider preferences for democracy, military rule, but also the main pain, uh, pain points for a lot of Africans? What would you tell them is urgent and that requires um, immediate attention? I'm curious to hear um, what you would say. Right, thanks for that. And I'll mention two or three things. The, the first critical thing is that, you know, democracy on the continent, democratic um, commitments, people's commitments to democracy is very solid and that Africans are keenly interested in making wanting, you know, that the government to deliver on that front. The unfortunate thing is that governments are really not meeting these uh, democratic aspirations of their citizens. So when people talk about democratic decline, it's not that there's an erosion of democratic principles and values among the population. The decline is coming from governments not being able to deliver, not because citizens or people on the continent don't want democracy. So that, that must be a big distinction to make. The demand for democracy is high, the supply of democracy is very low, and we need to work on the supply side. The second thing I want to point out is in terms of that also linked to the gap between the demand and supply of democracy is this military interventions. Because when the gap gets wide, when there's a gap between the demand for democracy and the supply of democracy, it creates a vacuum. And that is a vacuum that the military starts to fill in. And so filling that gap will have the effect of making sure that at least it prevents these incidents of military rule. Otherwise, as long as we continue to have that gap and create a vacuum, 
we will have the military maybe intervening from time to time. And the worrying trend being that citizens feel like, okay, if we don't are not getting what we hope for under a democracy, then having the military intervene makes sense. And so mm-hmm. if we could close that gap, the deficit in the supply of uh, democracy, that could help to address some of these um, incidents of uh, military takeovers. The last point I want to make is, you know, the impact of COVID-19 and poverty on the continent. We have seen that, you know, in the last several rounds, in particular across the 20 countries, we used to record a declining levels of people experiencing extreme poverty, but that figure has just shot up in the last survey. And I think that is an area that people, you know, government stakeholders and development stakeholders need to pay attention to that. Poverty has really deepened in several countries on the continent, largely driven by the COVID-19, but also global forces like the war in Ukraine and, of course, climate change, which most of our respondents tell us that is making life more and more difficult for them. And so the economic side is also becoming depressing and policy actors, development partners need to pay attention to that as we move forward. And that's excellent. Dr. Joseph Asunka, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. It's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to uh, meeting in person very soon. Thank you so much, Marino. It's really a pleasure to talk to you and I hope to see you soon. That brings us to the end of today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together. I love, love learning new things. Hey, if you enjoyed this chat, you definitely enjoy others that came before it. Check out previous episodes on whichever platform you're tuned into now or visit our website www.thebrentersfoundation.org for other episodes. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if I could make one last ask of you, please do share this with others. Again, you're listening to Marie Noel on the Brentus Foundation podcast, and it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Until next week, stay well.